Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice. Everybody. Welcome to Teams & Co.'s podcast, Building Teams with Teams & Co. We're here today with Susanna Harris, uh, who's a PhD. Susanna actually founded PhD Balance to break the stigma around mental illness in higher education and create spaces where grad students can have open conversations around the challenges we face. Welcome, Susanna. We're really excited to have you here today. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's uh it's cool to connect with people in the area, even if we're not even able to be physically close. <laughs> it is a, it's a nice, uh, it's nice to have all of the technology. That is for sure. <laughs> so Susanna, maybe you could get us started by just telling us a little bit about PhD balance and, and how you got started. Absolutely. So uh, like you said, I, I finished up my PhD. I actually finished it at UNC of Chapel Hill back this April. Uh, but PhD Balance was something that I started in March of 2018, so about two and a half years ago at this point. And it all came about because I had read a paper in February of 2018 that showed that about 30 to 40 percent of graduate students were dealing with signs and symptoms of severe mental health concerns, specifically around anxiety and depression. And I saw the statistic and it was somehow very surprising and also very comforting to me at the same time. It all just started as an Instagram page originally called PH Depression because I was a PhD student with depression and put out a call for people to share their stories. And, and since then, it's just really grown into something way bigger than I could have ever imagined. You mentioned that obviously you're in, uh, in you're in an area where people are having conversations that are incredibly important, but also incredibly sensitive. Um, there might be situations where your volunteer team maybe can't um, provide all of the support that somebody might need. So. In the business world, this translates into kind of what's our core offering and then what maybe is behind beyond the scope of what we would be able to provide. And and how do you and your team navigate that when you're when you're having these incredibly personal and, and, and important conversations with people? How do you make sure that you're finding that balance, but also making sure that you are able to I don't know if refer is the right word, but kind of connect people to the, the right resources at the right times. Most of what we provide is peer support in terms of creating spaces for people to come together, have conversations, share these stories, share skills, and, and help each other. Um, which is something that really doesn't exist in a lot of spaces in graduate school. Graduate school can be very isolating. And a lot of times graduate students aren't even afforded the opportunities to work with others to perform common goals, something like creating a poster for a conference, something that graduate students, every single graduate student in research sciences has <laughs> to do at some point. But there are no a lot of places won't even give you a template. A lot of places, unless you know the right person, you're going to be starting from scratch. That's basically our model in our own system in terms of supporting graduate students rather than focusing on something that's tangible like building a poster. It's more of, okay, how do you have a difficult conversation with an advisor? How do you sit down and deal with uh, finding a therapist in graduate school? 
where we're not necessarily doing that service, but we're providing the space for people to share their ideas, to give each other templates. Um, we do different workshops. We do monthly themes and have activities and have chats and host these spaces. So that's our our core has just been to provide the spaces for people to share and to learn from each other. And then the pieces that people will push us to adopt and that we're kind of continuing to is once they have recognized maybe there is a problem, maybe there's an issue with my mental health, maybe I am struggling, now what? Um, and so originally it was just this space to have the conversation more and more, we're starting to collect resources and be able to act as a sort of source for people to go to and find the necessary resource. People might come and say, I need help uh, in terms of my depression. What can I do? And we'll, we will say, we can't do that, but here is someone who can. No, that's great. And it sounds like you have a very... Um... Again, maybe customer is not the right word, but customer focused um, approach to things. And, and that's one of the things that we speak often about at Teams & Co is, is making sure that an organization knows who they're serving and what the value that they're providing and maybe what the value or what these services that they're not going to be providing are, right? Having that core and, and really um, succinct and complete offering so that you know, okay, these are within the core and maybe these are things that to your point, maybe I would refer out to somebody else who's a specialist, um, mm -hmm. or in other cases, maybe we should evaluate as a team if we want to offer this. And and it sounds like that's that's a really exciting way that your organization has been able to grow. It just in terms of taking that feedback from 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 the from the audience that you're serving, and and continuing to build out those resources in a way that. Um, that is interesting and fulfilling for them. So I guess one of my questions is it is it sounds like your team kind of was built over time based on different platforms that you thought your audience might want to use. Was mm -hmm. there ever a situation where you and your team tried something and realized, wait, nobody actually wants to use this platform or no, this is not that it's a bad platform, but for this kind of conversation that people were just maybe not as interested in that. And how did you and your team kind of evaluate that and, and go through that process? Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a good question, and I'm immediately laughing because I'm thinking about all the times that we started something and and ended it. And I think I think people too often worry that if they take the wrong track, I mean, don't invest a ton of resources into something that that is definitely or might not work out. But it, we've we've started a whole bunch of different initiatives that didn't pan out, and it's fine. Um, one the the one thing that comes up the most uh, is Facebook. We don't use Facebook. Facebook is, you know, we're a social media oriented group. That's how we build our communities. We're on Instagram, Twitter. We have a Discord channel. We're on Pinterest, LinkedIn. We have a website, all of these different platforms, and we don't use Facebook. Um, I don't know that this is, maybe this is an everything sort of thing, like every different sector you're in, but Definitely in terms of in mental health related fields, like support fields, people are really excited about whatever you're doing. They want they want you to help the most people in all places. And so rather than I, I think some groups struggle to find maybe a big enough audience, they're trying to make sure they have enough consumers. Um, we we have too many. Uh, and so one of the biggest things that 
we've used as a guiding principle, one of the biggest things that we had to learn is to have a very, very clear mission and vision. And our mission is to provide spaces for graduate students to learn from shared experiences. And I bring this up and, and bring it back into Facebook of, we started using Facebook because so many people said, you need to have a Facebook. How can you not have a Facebook page? How can you say that you're on social media, but not be on social media? And we started that, but then going back to our, our mission, yes, it's a place to share stories, but graduate students generally are not using Facebook. So although Facebook is a fantastic way to market, it's there's a huge platform, there's tons of people on it, our target audience was not using Facebook. And so just because it looks like this is a good thing to do, it didn't actually go with our mission. And that kind of has extended out too in terms of thinking about who our audience is we primarily try to serve PhD students who want to talk about dealing with mental health struggles and related things, maybe, um, you know, neurodiversity or dealing with structural inequalities and inequities in academia. But we're talking about those things. Um, master's students often enjoy our services and are part of our community, undergraduates, postdocs, faculty members, administrative staff, we have a ton of people in our community, but we do focus on making sure whatever we're doing is still targeted towards that one group. And if other people enjoy it, that's perfect. That's fantastic. We invite them in. Um, but definitely one of the hardest things has been saying no to, we're not expanding this out to nursing students. We're not expanding this out to a high school program. Um, we're just focusing on what our target community is asking for us. No, that's great to know. And I think that those decisions are um, often difficult for organizations, right? It's it's really difficult to say no and feel confident that you're making those decisions. But it sounds like you all took the approach of making that decision based on your customers. And then therefore that gave you the confidence to be able to you know, really kind of make sure that you were sticking to the channels where they felt most comfortable and often just used, right? And just kind of mm -hmm. made it accessible for them and, and made the message accessible for them. So, mm -hmm. so as, as many organizations are, are shifting, um, given the last nine months, a lot of the different ways that we're working, a lot of the different things that we're offering have changed. And so maybe you could mm -hmm. speak a little bit to how you and your team have, you know, managed that change, not only with how you work with each other, but our, you know, how you've have you work with, you know, and offer your service to people, uh, you know, given all of the the many changes that we've all seen in the last nine months? <laughs> yeah, I think that we were uh, actually very fortunate in in this particular endeavor because most of our work was already online. Um, one of the situations that graduate students face is that they might be at a smaller university or they might be pretty isolated within their lab. They might not be able to share their struggles with the people that they're working directly with, but they also can't share their struggles uh, with people who aren't in graduate school or have never been in graduate school. So it feels like they can't talk to their friends and family that they had in college or in high school, but they also don't feel comfortable leaning over to a lab mate and saying, hey, I'm struggling with my depression this week just so you know. Um, and so a lot of our work was already online, was connecting people who are going through similar experiences, but not necessarily in the same place. And my the, the fun part about my team, one of the parts that I really, really love is that we are a very international group. 
uh, our one of our head editors or our head editor rather, but one of our leadership team is in Perth, Australia, um, and she joined the team in the first five months of it existing. So all the way throughout, it's been completely virtual in terms of meetings, which has always been difficult to set up these different you know meeting times. But that's our that was a challenge before all of this. And I think now we were ready to to be online. Um, what's actually funny is that back in this past January, we were starting to figure out how we could do more and more in-person events. Uh, I've been doing a lot of public speaking. I had been traveling and going to different universities and conferences. It was about two a month before COVID started. And so I was looking at how can we increase this? How can we bring other speakers in and go and basically do the same services in person as we were doing online, but in a day of here are some techniques to help you deal with graduate school. Here are some signs and symptoms to, to look out for in terms of mental health. Uh, here are some tangible steps that you can take to make your environment better and to connect you with others. We do that online, but we wanted to do it more in person. Uh, and as it turned out, we got to double down on our online efforts. And I think it's actually turned out for the best, though, because instead of I think it was going to be a, an opportunity to grow, but also a potential risk of spreading ourselves too thin. And so we've really dug into our online presence. And I think it's been a really good opportunity because more and more people are online right now and are needing support and to have a place where they can go and just hear others talk or read other stories and identify with others. Um, I think I think it's actually really worked out. I think everyone's just been been pivoting, um, and I'm I'm very thankful that our team was already very used to just. I haven't met most of the people that I've worked with over the last couple of years. No, it, it sounds like you already had a good basis for that. And and while a lot of teams are adjusting to the virtual work, you and your team, I'll bet the kind of uh, natural challenges around time zones, uh, which are always, always a little bit difficult. Uh, we were able to figure out early on that I've watched other groups start to learn more and more is setting up meetings that might get canceled rather than trying to set up meetings a day in advance. Um, so I know that with in-person stuff, it might be, oh, if we need to have a meeting this week, then we'll set it up. Uh, but we learned with having to do stuff online with different changing schedules, there's not constant back and forth communication. It's better to have a space reserved and then decide not to use it than to need to have a space. Um, and so it was just, we learned that we needed to have really clear goals. We need to have pretty clear guidelines. Um, and just say, we're going to meet every two weeks. And if the day before that meeting, we all decide we don't need to, that's fine. But we can get rid of a meeting. We can't necessarily add a meeting. No, I think that's a great tip for all of our listeners to kind of keep in mind, because especially as you're dealing with a lot of different schedules and navigating a constantly changing environment, having that time set up where you can all connect if you need to. Um, but also mm -hmm. give it give it back or or give up give back half of it, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think that is really really valuable and and a great tip for everybody as they try to navigate the busy schedules. Um, you mentioned goals and guidelines, which uh, we're always happy to talk about business. But one of the things I've been interested in speaking to leaders about is how are you finding the balance with your team for more informal connections, right? I think mm -hmm. many people, kind of in the beginning of of the pandemic, when maybe we were 
first virtual and lacking and, and wanting more of a, uh, you know, a personal connection to people. We were on a lot of video calls. And then there was a time around July or August that people started to feel like totally overwhelmed by the amount of video calls and wanted a little bit of a break. So as a leader of a team, how are you finding that balance in kind of recognizing when people do want to connect and create that personal connection versus maybe, you know what, everybody's a little bit, you know, uh, tied up this week and really busy. Um, so we're going to we're going to skip that. But maybe we could you could share some of the ways that you and your team kind of find time for informal connections. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> so I think I think everyone fell into that trap of, OK, we're going to do happy hours. We're going to do get togethers. We're just going to have these meetings and chat, which was kind of nice early on. And then it was this. This is somehow worse. Right. And and you'd end up with a room full of people on Zoom, clearly not looking at what was happening and which is fine. Like I'm I'm the same way. We're all super burnt out on that. And I thought a little bit about so thinking about icebreakers, right? And and you're basically told in any group setting you need to use icebreakers. But so many people think about icebreakers all in the same way of you just start a conversation, you force everyone to say a word, and now suddenly they're all more comfortable. And we all know that's not true. Like, the best way to turn off an entire group of people is to ask them to tell you something interesting about themselves. Um, no one likes that question. I've never met someone who's like, yes, I get to say the one fact that's interesting about me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> you know, but you, but you have to do something, right? Like, so... But there have been studies that found that people are more comfortable, will be better at team building. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is a study that looked at how people felt about their team after playing rock band together. I mean, I might be aging myself, but basically, <laughs> you know, playing a, a video game that's pretty fun. It's sort of collaborative, but you're being it, it's it's not a high stakes game, but you're all working towards the same goal. They found that those people were more connected than if they just kind of had a meet and greet for the same amount of time. And so I've switched from saying we're going to do a group hangout to offering group co-working sessions. So people might be working on the same thing or they might not. We might all just be on a video chat working on our other stuff and we say, okay, we're going to work for 25 minutes and then we're going to take a five minute break and chat and we can talk about whatever, or we can put people into a breakout room and they can do their own thing and work on stuff. And the reason for this is that everyone feels like they don't have enough time right now. And it's really nice to have some set aside time where you're going to work, but you're also going to chat with somebody. And you think about when do you have organic connections? It's not really at those big networking events where you're all holding a, a plate of food and saying, hi, how are you? It's nice <laughs> to meet you. I'm glad that we are here for this explicit purpose of being friends now. It's more the times where you're sitting around, maybe you are at a lunch table and you're working on stuff and you're chatting or you know, you're you're working on something and you lean over to your colleague and you say, hey, I've got a question. Could you help me out with this? Or you just sort of start talking. It's much easier to connect when you're not trying to connect. Um, yeah. And so I think just providing spaces for people to to feel productive in other ways and then just genuinely have little conversations as they come up the same way that you would if you went with a coworker to a coffee shop. No, I think that's a great idea. I, I really like that co-working idea because it mimics almost, uh, especially for uh, the many people who have worked in pods at the office or open kind of spaces at offices, 
it mimics, sounds like it mimics that idea of like, I'm looking over the cubicle or I'm looking over kind of the separator between our two desks and just asking a quick question, right? So mm-hmm. we might be kind of, you know, both working with our headphones on, but we take that like two minute break to ask a quick question. And, um, you know, we speak often about those informal connections throughout the day are often what accelerates our pace as a team, right? Like we see somebody in the hallway and we're able to ask that one quick question, or mm-hmm. we, we're down in the cafeteria and we bump into somebody who we've been working with on the cross-functional team and we say, oh, rather than set up a meeting, can I just quickly you know, talk to you about this one piece of the puzzle, right? And mm-hmm. all of those informal times where it's hard to quantify how much work gets done, has really been missing from our kind of work interactions with each other. So I, I love that idea of just kind of setting up co-working space where everybody's free to kind of quote unquote ignore each other for a little mm-hmm. while, but also. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. And you can, you can turn off your video audio, like you can do whatever you want. It's sort of a, an accountability situation, but exactly to that point of if you are working on something that, that is related to both of your work, um, you don't have to say, is this a question that's important enough for an email? Or is this a question that's important enough to set up a Zoom meeting? Or should I just figure this out on your, my own? As you're doing, you know, we were talking about websites before this, yeah. working with my team that's working on our website. If you're working on a website and you're trying to set up a list of questions, it's going to take a ton of time to try to write out the questions and explain them. But if you're one person is working on the website, the other person is working on their emails, and that person working on the website says, hey, can we chat for a second? I'm going to share my screen and show you this stuff. It takes so much less time. It's less stressful. They don't have to think about it. Um, But it's also not a meeting of, okay, we're going to sit down and talk about this website. So I I don't know. I kind of wish that more... I found it really useful. I wish that more groups just said, hey, Mondays from noon to four, this room is going to be open. We encourage you to get together. We're going to chat at a couple of regular intervals, um, but this is just an open space. Uh, it's nice. It's really nice for personal accountability because you put it on your schedule and you say, I I can't do any meetings then. I'm sorry. I've got co-working. Yeah. No, it's kind of nice also to kind of break up the meeting schedule because one of the things that we hear often is there's kind of meeting overload now, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't have that natural break in our schedule where we need to move from one meeting room to the other meeting room. And so mm-hmm. a lot of teams are struggling with, we just have back-to-back meetings and there's no time mm-hmm. to process the information. Mm-hmm. And that that's almost a really great way just to process the information together, right? You have a, a block of time where as a group, you're not, you're not adding anything new to the agenda. You're all just mm-hmm. trying to work on your action items and achieve something together. But if you do have a question, just kind of chat about it. Exactly. And if there's, you know, if there's seven people in that room and three people want to talk about something, the other four people just turn their micro or they turn their headsets off. So they're still there and you could still chat at them and say, hey, I actually really need to get you a question from you. But um, yeah, I, I think it it is nice. And it's even though we're all used to working from home, we we always apologize if we're going to eat a snack while we're on a meeting or, oh, my dog is making a noise, whatever. But that it's it's intentionally informal in my case because it is you know it is international it's just whenever whenever you can work on this is great and i think that's the other big key of this is saying thank you a lot um that's something that is much harder to do digitally uh again one of the the benefits of having worked online with all of this for so long 
not just within the team, but also just seeing how our audience engages and what is good and what works is that you have to say thank you about twice as much as you normally would because you don't have that nonverbal communication of like, right. nice job today because it, it, it feels different or you don't touch someone. You don't say, hey, that was really good or open the door for them and you know, follow them down the hallway and just kind of chat. There's no informal stuff that indicates to somebody that they've done a good job. And so if you're in a meeting room and you and you sincerely thought they did a really good job on a presentation, you might say, that was a really good job. All right. Thank you, everyone. Let's keep talking, though. Like, I want to hear a little bit more and you might follow up a little bit. But on a Zoom call, you'll say that was great. I loved it. Everyone, good job today. All right. Take care. Going to end the meeting and you're done. And that speaker is even if they know they've done a good job, they don't have that extra bit of positive reinforcement. So I think it's especially important to follow up with a text or to just say, hey, why don't you stay on for a minute? Everyone else hop out. Uh, we'll chat soon, but wanted to touch base. Even if you're just going to use that opportunity to say, I just wanted to say, I thought you did a really good job today. I liked that you did X, Y, and Z, and I appreciate it. Because it's something that we would do in real life. It's something that's super important and it's something that takes extra work right now. No, and I think that's a great idea in terms of, you know, the, the person, the individual gets that group recognition, right? So there's that one, that first initial recognition of the whole group knows that, you know, this this work was appreciated and the group gets to also thank that person. Mm -hmm. But having that extra one-on-one -on -one time also allows you as a leader to give more specific feedback and really mm -hmm. reinforce that. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a nice kind of one-two combination in terms of, making sure the person has the, you know, the feedback from the full group is recognized for their capabilities, recognized for their job well done, but then also has that one-on-one -on -one time to talk with you because they might have more questions too, right? They might say, oh, I'm glad you thought I did really well, but I was, I was a little nervous about slides like three through five. I don't, I didn't feel mm -hmm. like my transition was great. Like, and you can, you know, it gives that extra time for that one-on-one -on -one feedback and, and additional coaching that I think you're right. A lot of people are, are missing right now in terms of, I don't want to bother my leader. I don't want to be the person that's, you know, calling all the time. There's this fear, I think, among some team members in terms of everybody's being very polite about each other's time because we're not in person, right? Mm -hmm. And so creating some of these more informal open sessions kind of reduces that need for kind of quote unquote permission to reach out and get get some of that feedback in in ways that we would have gotten it before because we were just in person, right? Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and to that end, to of giving other people flexibility and also giving yourself flexibility and understanding your own limitations that you might say we should have a co-working session every single week, but not everyone's required to be there, but we want to have it every single week. You might, though, realize that you can't do it every single week. And so it's important to give yourself that space and find a co-lead. Say, hey, I'm going to do my best to be at every single one of these. There might be some that I can't. Um, so we're going to make sure that every single week is actually run by a different person uh, and, and make it a, instead of it having it being something where you are doing this, it is your responsibility and people are agreeing to do something for you. It's each week, it's going to be run by a different person and you're going to have the opportunity to set it up. Maybe you decide what the working schedule is. Is it going to be 25 minutes on, five minute break? Is it going to be just casual throughout? Are we going to have 
uh, a coffee break at three that goes until three thirty. Um, you know, it's it, you're you're running the meeting room. It takes pressure off of you, and it gives ownership to other people. And I think any time that you can give ownership to others is just. It just makes things better. People feel appreciated <laughs> because they feel like you're trusting them. It has to be truly, you have to be honest with it. You can't say, this is my gift to you. You're saying, I would like you to take this responsibility. It would be helpful to me and would give me bandwidth. But but people like to be trusted. People like to to have some responsibilities that are enjoyable and that they can do a good job at. I, I agree. We actually, we work with organizations. Um, we use a like kind of a team assimilation model when we're talking through communications and how people prefer to be communicated with. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we often speak about at the end is, is having that team approach to meetings and to cadences, right? So especially if you're working with people who are on different shifts or on, they have different days of the week. One of the ways that we've worked with organizations in the past is say, okay, everybody organizes a team meeting, right? It just rotates. And when it's your turn, you get to pick the time, you get to pick the date. Obviously, you still have to collaborate with your team members to get buy-in. And that's an important mm-hmm. piece of leadership is getting that buy-in. And they know that, but it's their it's their piece to own, right? Or mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a previous life, before I had my own company, um, we would I worked for a company where we would often do team meetings and we would do them in different locations because our team was all in different cities. And it was one of those things I used then, which was, we have to go somewhere to meet, but it doesn't make sense for us to always go where I decide. So Mm -hmm. each person was in charge of a quarterly meeting. So every quarter we rotated and that we went to that person's location. So they didn't have to travel. And it was their kind of opportunity to show us their city, take us to restaurants they liked, right? It gave them that personal kind of ownership over the meeting where it was great as the leader to not have to always organize every meeting, right? It gave Mm -hmm. your point me bandwidth to do other things. It also gave them that ability to say, hey, this is what I do every day. And this is like a little piece of me that I can share with the full group. Uh, And it created this great camaraderie because not only did you have a team meeting, you also got to learn a ton about your team members because you were all constantly showing each other the parts of your city that you loved, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a unique way to build that ownership, build that accountability, but also um, keep people really engaged. And I think that ownership really goes to a lot of what we talk about in terms of empowering teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like people want to be a part of a team where they're contributing to that success. So if the leader is always saying, we're going to do these things in these ways, it's hard to know where as a team member, you can really take some ownership and, and be a part of that success. So it's nice that you're finding these little ways with your team to to keep them engaged and also give them the opportunity to to step up a little bit. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think a lot of it is just having trust in the team and putting, uh, one of the things when we do our onboarding is that one of the things that we really hammer in is our idea of our self-care initiative. So we are a group that supports graduate students' mental health. And I've told everyone on our team this, um, I try to do a call with every single person that we bring on and talk directly about this of I would rather have all of our platforms go down for a week than have one of our team members have like a huge amount of additional stress because of this like the team only exists because of the team members and the company the support what we create only exists because of the team and 
I mean, I'm really privileged to work with amazing, passionate people. Most of the people on my team have a higher uh, education degree or are in a higher education program. Um, you know, I think majority have or are working towards a PhD specifically all around the country. And these are people who care about supporting others, care about mental health. And a lot of them care about mental health partially because that they have dealt with mental health issues. I'm very outspoken about the fact that I deal with anxiety and depression. We talk a lot as a team of why this is so hard uh, in terms of mental illness. And because of that, I know that a lot of people in my team, this has always been known, a lot of the people in my team are going to have a period of time where they need to take time off. A lot of people are going to have a hard time telling me that they can't take on additional responsibilities. I have a lot of people on my team who are going to get very panicked about emails, about public speaking, about things, but are going to feel that they shouldn't talk about it because our society has told us if you're dealing with a mental health issue, you shouldn't bring it up because it makes you a bad team member, a bad employee. And so our initiative says you can take up to two weeks off or two months off, no questions asked. You can just tell us, I can't, I can't work, do anything for the next two months. We don't ask questions. After two months, we want to know what's going on. We want to figure out like, can we give you those responsibilities back or do we need someone else? Full time to to take them on, but our guarantee is that we will cover your responsibilities for two months without asking any questions. Also, that the only thing that we require is that you communicate. And so, if you have a deadline that is Friday at one p.m. and you're not going to hit it, that's fine. It is not the end of the world. We're we're lucky because our you know we don't have stakeholders that are giving us a ton of money. We don't have product rollouts we can take some liberties in terms of we didn't hit this deadline, but I think a lot of places really lose out on retaining fantastic people because they expect those people to be fantastic all the time. And I know that my people are amazing, that their 80% effort looks like a lot of people's 120. Like these, the, I get to work with the best people. I also know though, that these people at, are at a higher risk and are more likely to have times where they're only able to work 30%. And the last thing that I want is for them to get to that those times where they can only do 30% and feel like they're not wanted. They're absolutely wanted. I want to keep them for the next several years. It's fine if they need to take a month because if I if I didn't provide that, we would lose our best people because our best people are also people who oftentimes struggle the most. And so I think especially now, not just saying it's okay to deal with mental health issues or it's okay if you need to take some time off, but to directly offer it and to tell people your expectation is that you do take it. I tell people my, what I expect from you is that you tell me when you need something and I and your expectation of me is that I will make sure that happens and that if that's not the case, that it is my failure, not yours. So I think just being explicit that you want people to take care of themselves it gives a lot of permission that I don't I don't think a lot of folks realize until after it happens. No, I think that that's a I, a real true testament to you and your team. And I think it helps you create that shared purpose, right? You're really truly living your mission and your purpose. And and I think it's a, an amazing commitment that you make to your team. And it really goes to your shared purpose because uh, the way you speak about it, 
uh, I have a feeling that even as your organization grows, that's going to be a commitment that you keep. Um, and I think it's really valuable for organizations and for team members to know exactly what you said. What are the expectations of me? And then what is my leader going to do to support me? You know, as a leader, our our major role is supporting our team. It's no longer mm-hmm. you, you've made that shift out of being an individual contributor. You're now your major role is how do I coach and support the people who I work with? Mm-hmm. And, and your system is really saying that this is how I could bring that to life. So I think it's great to hear other it's great for other leaders to hear how you're doing that with your team and the expectations. Mm-hmm. And maybe other organizations can't match that exactly, but I think it really is a good conversation to be able to have with organizations around what are those expectations and where do you, um, you know, in terms of support, you know, offer those things to your team. Anyway, I think that that, that is like, uh, you know, I think if I could think of a way to summarize ending a podcast around teams <laughs> is, is uh, <laughs> your talk about how you supported your team is, is kind of perfect. So I don't, I don't want to, uh, <laughs> I don't want to lose that. But one thing I do want to make sure we give our listeners the opportunity to do is connect with you and PhD Balance further if they'd like to. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how we can fo- follow you and, uh, and connect with you uh, in the digital space. Sure. So, uh, yeah. And, and you know, thanks for, for this opportunity to share. And it's always really cool to connect with new people. I mean, this is what the entire project was based off of anyway, is just finding people and connecting and talking about stuff that's important. So, uh, so PhD Balance, PhD Balance, uh, you can find it on our website, phdbalance.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at PhD underscore balance. We're on YouTube, uh, Pinterest, a bunch of other things. But if you look up PhD Balance across different platforms other than Facebook, you can find <laughs> us. I'd recommend going to the website. It's probably the easiest, uh, but you can get involved there. You can become a member of the website. We do uh, offer free membership to anyone. There's also opportunities where if you would like to f- support us, and again, no one in our group is getting paid. This goes to having guest speakers. This goes to dealing with uh, like legal and basic business costs, things like that. If you do want to support us, you can do that through a GoFundMe, but also just becoming a member of our website. And then uh, you can also connect with me. I have, my name is Susanna, S-U-S-A-N-N-A-L Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. That uh, is my website, SusannaLHarris.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Harris. Um, and, and yeah, I would, I would encourage you to check out PhD balance, um, especially because I'm, I'm very excited for this next step that we're going to be taking in 2021, where I am so very excited to get to pass off a lot of my leadership. Uh, one of the things that I do think sets us apart is that it's, it's a peer support system. And I think we are super strong because it's mostly run by graduate students. And my team and I have taken some time and we've decided that we want it to be more of a president, vice president, sort of like a a student organization system. So uh, we're gonna have our new president and we're gonna start, we're gonna find our vice president and I am going to get to take one of my favorite roles, which is to just kind of take a step back. I'm going to make sure that they have the infrastructure, they have the money, they have the legal, they have the biggest cheerleader. Um, but I'm I'm so excited for the, this next step because 
we're bringing up some new people in our leadership um, and we're really thinking about who should be running different aspects. And I think I think in this next year, it's going to be cooler than it's ever been because there's going to be a lot more ideas. That's awesome. Well, Susanna, we can't thank you enough for being here. I think you've hit most of the topics that we've spoken about on our podcast. So I'm super impressed at the breadth of our conversation. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, our listeners have enjoyed speaking about things from teams to what you're now speaking about succession planning and growing the organization and and really meeting your audience with with exceptional values. So I think a lot of the the themes that you've spoken about will hopefully resonate for the folks that we that we uh, enjoy having as listeners. Um, we will also add all of your contact information to our show notes so folks can folks can connect as they as they choose. But again, thank you. And and I agree. It's been it's been lovely to get to chat with you here on Zoom and. Uh, we, uh, we look forward to maybe even doing a, doing a follow-up in the near future. So keep us posted and we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Right. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.